0: Excuse me. So, over the last couple of weeks here at the well, we have started to move through the book of Acts. And I think this is the fourth week that we have um, been dealing specifically with Acts 1, verse 8. And we've dissected that verse and um, pulled it apart left and right. And uh, we actually have one more week after this where we'll be looking at Acts 1, 8. But over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a few things. Uh, from Acts 1.8. Let me read that to you first. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about sort of the lead up in the first chapter of Acts uh, to Acts 1.8 when Jesus and the disciples have this interaction. And Jesus helps helps them to understand some of uh, the expectations that they had of Jesus and what Jesus was going to accomplish was a little off base and, and perhaps pointed out some idols of their heart to them. Uh, and then a few weeks ago, uh, Ben, Richie actually preached through this passage and talked about uh, the way the Holy Spirit enables his followers, enables the followers of Christ to, to live lives Um, being witnesses for Christ. Last week we talked about what it means to be a witness. And this week we're going to take it a step further and we're just going to sort of talk about what happened in the first few um, chapters of Acts as the disciples of Christ began to do what Christ called them to do as they were enabled by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1-8, it references three specific geographic areas, or or four. I'm sorry, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And so this morning, I'm going to just take a step back and look at what happened as the gospel uh, expanded, went forth to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and sort of talk about some lessons that we as a church can take away from that and sort of um, maybe challenge us in those areas. Next week... Um, Tommy Mangione is actually going to preach through the last part of that uh, the gospel going forth to the ends of the earth, and um, that'll be an exciting time. We'll also have baptism next week, so that'll be awesome. You guys, make sure to come back for that. Baptism is is uh, one of my favorite um, one of my favorite things that we as a church do. It's it's, it's quite awesome, but. So like I said, Acts 1-8, this is where we're going to start this morning. Um, In Acts 1-8, Jesus specifically says to his disciples that you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And a lot of times we like to look at this passage and say, well, what that means is, well, we need to start being Jesus' witnesses here, and then we need to take a step over here, and then we need to take a step over here, and we need to take a step over here, and eventually we make it to the ends of the earth. And while that's okay, I think the point of what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that He's calling us to be his witnesses, and it's going to go to the end of the earth, and it's going to move forth sort of in concentric circles like uh, ripples on a pond when you throw a rock in a pond and it moves out. That's the point of what Jesus is saying. And so I don't want to take it to mean something that it doesn't, but we are going to talk, like I said, about what it looks like as the gospel moves forth in those specific areas. And so Jesus told his disciples to be his witnesses, And that it's going to start in Jerusalem, which is probably where they wanted to hang out and stay because it was comfortable, but that Jesus was going to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, send his word and his witness out to the ends of the earth. And so the question for us this morning is does that happen? In the book of Acts, do we see disciples being made in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? In the book of Acts, do we see new churches being planted and thriving because of the witness of Jesus Christ as Christ's followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit to be on mission for the gospel? And let me just stop right there and say, what do we talk about when we talk about being on mission, right? Uh... When we talk about being on mission, in in one sense, we talk about moving forward with a purpose. Um, When I was thinking through this this past week, I started thinking about what it looks like to be on mission, and I thought about me anytime I'm forced to go to Walmart. I don't like it, right? And I'm going for a specific reason, a specific purpose, and I'm going to go in as quickly as I can, get that item, and get out, because I don't like it in there. It's really big, and it just scares me which is strange. I know. (laughs) That's being on mission. It's moving with a singular purpose and focus, accomplishing something. I thought back too as well when my wife was pregnant, and it's true that that my wife at least had these weird uh, food urges. And I remember going to Kroger at about uh, 11 o'clock one night looking for an apple pie and probably buying some pasta salad and some blueberry muffins to go with it. It was, it was really weird, but that's what being on mission is about. It's about moving with a singular purpose to accomplish something. And so does that happen in these first few chapters of Acts? And so I already read for us Acts 1.8, I'll read it again, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we move a few chapters over and we get to Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And what does that say? Well, Acts 6, 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so Jesus said, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And just a couple of chapters over in Acts 6. Luke wraps it up for us here a little bit and says, yeah, there's a great many disciples being made in Jerusalem. In fact, even some of the priests, the people who um, were dead set against Christ, well, even they're becoming believers. All right. So the gospel's moving out. And then we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and this is sort of following um, the, um, the conversion of Saul, who, who becomes Paul, and Acts 9.31 says this, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So just in these three quick verses from the book of Acts, in the first verse, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, in Acts 6, Luke reminds us, yeah, it's happening. It's happening. And then in Acts 9, Luke says, yeah, it's really happening. The church has spread. There are multiple churches in a variety of places. There are lots of disciples that have been made because the witness of Jesus is going forth because His people are being obedient. They're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And after Acts 9, just a taste of what's to come. I'm not really going to focus on this this morning. But throughout the rest of Acts, you get these little snippets. In Acts chapter 13, which I don't think will be on the screen, but there's one point in Acts chapter 13 where it says, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. In Acts 16, 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And, so the, and then Acts 19, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you sort of see this happening, right? What Jesus called his followers to do, to be on mission for him, to have a singular purpose, to be his witnesses, to make disciples of all the nations. And so, like I said, where I want to draw us back to this morning is sort of a call to action. And it's a call to action based on some of the things we see right here in these passages, lessons that we can learn as a church together on mission for the gospel it's a call to action like the great commission is a, a call to action but it's a call in response to what christ has done because christ has empowered us to be on mission right so lesson number one what's one lesson we can learn from this early church even based on just a few passages we've read right here and i'll give it to you in one word obedience in Acts 1, verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples to remain in Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus reminds them that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And he tells them of his expectation for them to be obedient once they Get the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to the end of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, what do we see them doing? We see them waiting in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit like Jesus told them to. And in Acts chapter 2, what happens? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and Pentecost happens. And they start speaking in languages that they don't know. And they start becoming witnesses to the gospel like Jesus told them to do. They were obedient to the call on their life. And after Acts 2, the rest of the book of Acts is really a record of their obedience. It doesn't mean that they didn't mess up. Right? It doesn't mean that the church didn't diso- I mean that certain people in the church didn't disobey. It didn't mean that they didn't run into all sorts of obstacles, but that's what Acts is. It's a record of the church doing what God called them to do as they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You guys with me? Nobody? Okay. So The book of Acts is filled with people messing up. It's filled with confrontations. It's filled with sin. It's filled with failures. It's filled with mistakes. It's filled with persecution. There are people dying all over the place in the book of Acts for their faith. It's really sort of like an action movie. And um, there's just a lot going on. And they're persecuted and they sin. And despite all those things, the gospel goes forth because they're obedient to the purpose that God gave them for the gospel to go forth. And it takes a lot of people to make it happen, and it takes different churches, but there's some obedience that happens. There's, like I said, some definitely some sin. If you look at Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, I don't know if you know this story or not, but they essentially come to church and they uh, lie to the Holy Spirit, as Peter puts it, and they end up dying um, right in front of everybody because of their sin. And later on, you see other things happen. There's Simon the magician in Acts chapter 8 who tries to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and John Mark is a missionary with Paul later on, and he comes back because he's frightened, and there's just all kinds of failures and stuff that happens. Like I said, Stephen dies for his faith, there's persecution, there's a lot going on. But in large part, the early church was obedient to the call of Christ on their life. They were obedient to wait like Jesus told them to do. And then they were obedient to be witnesses like Jesus told them to be witnesses. And that's why the gospel spread forth as the Holy Spirit enabled them, right? And so obedience is a funny thing when we talk about it, right? And for anybody who has kids, you know what I'm talking about. Um, Just this week, and if you don't have kids, you were a kid and you were disobedient. Um, and if you're like me, you're still disobedient to our heavenly father, right? But just this week, I remarked, uh, to my buddy Tommy back here about how my four-year-old daughter and her disobedience can make me angrier than just about anybody else on the planet. And part of that has to do with the sin in my heart, uh, not, not as much with her disobedience because, um, she's a four-year-old who doesn't know Jesus, right? So she's going to disobey, um. But a few years back, I had this mentor in my life named Gary Long. And Gary was a pastor at a local church here. He was on staff at a church. And he's the kind of guy that I was honestly scared to go in and sit down across from. I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life like this or not. But I was scared to go in and sit in a chair across from him because I felt like he could see into my soul. You know what I'm talking about? I I would go in and sit down, and I was afraid that he was going to look at me and say well, I know about that sin that you did yesterday, and uh, let's talk about it because you need to confess and repent. It was just that kind of guy, incredibly godly, incredibly wise man. And I loved him to death, but I was scared to death of him as well. Um, But Gary Long taught me this statement about obedience. He would say that obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. It's something that I've remembered for years. Out of all the sermons and classes that I've sat through, that's one thing I remember. Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. Yesterday after lunch, I told my four-year-old daughter, Laurel, it's time for you to go to your room and take a nap. And you know what she did? She went to her room to take a nap. But do you know what she did along the way? She stomped her feet, she rolled her eyes, she complained. And it wasn't a very pleasant experience. She did what she was told to do, and she did it when I told her to do it. But her attitude was way off. And so, again, it sparked a little bit of anger on my part. A couple of weeks ago, Laura was at gymnastics camp. And this is kind of a funny story. Tuesday of gymnastics camp week is water day. It's when the kids get to go outside and play in sprinklers and play in a little pool and have a good time. And so the counselors told them, Hey, it's time for you to go to the bathroom and put your swimsuits on so that we can go outside and have water day. And so, what does my daughter do? She proceeds to take off her clothes in the middle of the gymnastics gym. And she did sort of what she was told to do. Not really. She didn't go to the bathroom to do it, right? She just took her clothes off right there. She did it when she was told, and she was happy about it. She had a good attitude, but it wasn't full obedience (laughs) because she didn't go to the bathroom. Right? You with me? And so the question for us this morning is, are we being obedient to God's call on our life like the early church was? Are we being obedient to the call on our life? If 2,000 years from now, excuse me, if 2,000 years from now, someone else would be looking back on the history of the well like we're doing with the early church, what would they say about us? Would they say, yeah, those folks were serious about the commission from Jesus? to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? Would they say, yeah, they messed up a lot. There was sin in their midst. There was conflict in their midst. There was all sorts of stuff that they messed up on. But they took it seriously when Jesus said, go be witnesses to the end of the earth, starting here and moving out. Would they say that about us? Would they say, because of the lives of of the people that are the body of faith called the well, the city of Augusta and the entire CSRA was changed. Churches were planted. Disciples were made. People repented of their sin. God was glorified and people everywhere lived in the joy of Christ because we as a body of faith took Christ's commission seriously. Or are they going to look back at us and say, yeah, that was a great, cool little church. They had a rocking band Um, They did great stuff together during the week. Uh, They were real friendly with one another. Um, But, you know, they had very little impact on their city um, because they weren't obedient to the call of Christ on their life. I don't know about you, but the thought of that scares me quite a bit. And it's a serious question for us to consider. And when we talk about obedience, it's a big subject, but let me narrow it down a little bit. Personally... Are you being obedient to the call of Christ on your life? It's an easy question because when I ask you that question, more than likely there's something that comes up in your mind that you know you need to deal with. Is there ongoing sin in your life? Is there a lack of willingness to be involved in the community of faith? Is there a lack of generosity on your part? Is there ongoing sin that you're refusing to repent of knowing that you're living in the middle of it? and you're not going to deal with it. And let me go ahead and tell you, that's going to affect the entire body. That's going to affect the entire body of faith, your personal sin. And the next question for us is, are we being corporately disobedient as a body of faith? Are we being disobedient to be witnesses together as a body? Are we being disobedient to love one another, to encourage one another, whatever it may be that God has called us to do as a body of faith? It's a serious question, and it's one that needs to be considered. Are we being obedient? Are we doing what God has asked us to do when he's asked us to do it with the right attitude that God has called us to have? If our attitude isn't right, then is it really disobedient? If we're delaying in what God has called us to do, are we really being obedient? And it's important for us to consider that. Personally, I don't know where you are and what you're dealing with, uh, at least not all of you. Corporately, uh, I have a little better idea. But the question is, are we going to be a part of the gospel starting here and moving out because we're serious about the call of Christ for us to be witnesses or not? Jesus doesn't need us to accomplish His purposes. That's a given. But... The method that Christ has left is his church. That's the means of salvation for the world. His church on mission for him, proclaiming the gospel, being witnesses so that others will know who Jesus is and what he's done. So what needs to change personally? What needs to change corporately? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to do differently? I'll leave that in your court. I have some ideas. For you, the answers may be different than they are for me, but it's important for us to consider because in Acts, we see the gospel moving forth and we see the church being obedient. Is it a coincidence? I don't think so. All right, we'll flip over to Acts chapter 7, lesson number two. I'm going to phrase this lesson as uh, just one word or or two words, and um, I'll call it the word. And um, essentially, this will break down into two lessons in a second. But Acts chapter six, verse seven, says, "And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith." I want you to look at something very closely in this passage, and it's this: the growth of the early church is tied specifically to the increase of God's word. It's it's right there. Um, let me go back and read a couple of verses before we get to verse 7. Verses 1 through 4. And it says this Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And that's the daily distribution of food. The 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What's the point? The early church faced a potential sticking point here. There were two distinct groups of people present. (coughs) The uh, sort of Greek folks and the Hebrew folks are present there. And one of those groups felt as if they were being treated unfairly in the daily distribution of food where the church was coming together to provide for their own members. And in verse 2, the disciples state that they will not give up a focus on God's word in order to serve tables. And that sort of sounds like a defense, right? It sort of sounds like they're, like somebody had suggested that and they're saying, no, we're not going to do that. Somebody probably made the suggestion that the apostles should spend more time serving tables. But Luke essentially tells us that that would have been a mistake. He ties verse 2 and verse 7 together this way. Stay with me here for a second. Um, he forges the word of God, that th- those words in verse 2, and the word of God in verse 7 together. And in verse 2, he quotes the apostles as saying that leaving the word of God would be a mistake. And in verse 7, he reports the effect of not leaving the word of God and the link is that the disciples multiplied greatly there were um, there was growth happening because of this and the point here is that the word of God kept spreading the word of God kept bearing fruit disciples were being made because the early church didn't neglect didn't make the mistake of neglecting the word of leaving the focus on the word And in this case, the major threat to the movement wasn't necessarily just this little conflict. The major threat to the movement would have been the apostles and the church focusing on something entirely good that would have distracted from something that they needed to remain focused on. It would have been very good for the disciples and the apostles to serve tables It would be quite awesome for them to do that. And in and of itself, it would have been a good thing to display humility in taking care of widows. It would have been a good thing, but it would have been a mistake. And so they came up with a better solution. We're going to focus on God's word and we're going to find godly people to serve. Here's the lesson for us. The word does and should continue to play a major role in our midst as a body of faith, just like it did for the early church. In the past, this is quite humorous to me, the well has actually been criticized for being too focused on God's word, for being too focused on the gospel, for talking too much about Jesus. And if you're going to criticize me for something, please, I will take that one. Um, It's quite comical, like I said, when you think about it. But from this passage, it should be very clear that the Word of God has to play a primary role in the life of the church. My daughters, both of them, every night before we go to bed are in the habit of asking me to read them a Bible story. And it may very well be because they want to prolong their bedtime or they want to hang out for a little bit more before they have to get in the bed. I I don't know. But nonetheless, it provides me an excellent opportunity to enforce in my kids this very truth. That the word of God is vital. That the word of God is important. And we have to have a primary focus on it. It was important to the life of the early church. It's important to us. In our midst, is it important to us corporately as a body? I would hope so. In your family, is it important to you? In your time alone with Christ, whatever that looks like, is it important to you? What role does God's Word play in your life? It needs to be a role that is primary, of significance, importance. So from this passage, we understand that, that that the role that the Word of God plays in our life is huge. But secondly, from this passage, we see that there are multiple roles for us to fill in the life of the church. Stay with me for a second. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. And I think this will be on the screen. Um, now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles to another prophecy to another the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. (coughs) Each of us has a role to play in the life of the church based upon how the Holy Spirit has gifted us. For some of us, we serve tables, like what happens in Acts chapter 6. For some of us, we change diapers and play with kids. For others, we lead MCs and encourage people um, to be witnesses for Christ and to encourage one another in our faith. For others, we meet together um, one-on-one or, or, or whatever it may be, to build up one another's faith and hold one another accountable. For others, we clean bathrooms and sweep floors. For others, we serve on stage by leading in worship. For others, we serve in the back um, by dealing with media and sound and all of these things. But the point is, the Holy Spirit has gifted us to serve His body for the building up of the church. And so, from Acts chapter six here, we understand that the early church had a um, placed great amount of significance on the word of God, but also they figured something out. We all have a different role to play in the life of the church. The Holy Spirit has gifted you with a role to play in the life of your church, and if you're neglecting the gift that God has given you for the benefit of His church, that's nothing short of sin. And it's something you need to repent of and it's something you need to find your place of service based on how God has given you. It's not a question of whether you have been gifted or not. It's a question of how you're going to use your gift to build up the body of faith like we see happening in the book of Acts. So in the book of Acts, the early church to a large extent was obedient to the call of Christ on their lives. Doesn't mean they didn't mess up. They messed up royally. But in large part, they were obedient. They focused on God's word and they understood that each of them had a role to play in caring for one another and building up the body of faith. So church, for us, where does that leave us this morning? Lesson number three. This is going to be very short because we've dealt with it already. Acts chapter 7 again says, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Like I said, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's very clear, I think, from now that we should understand what the mission of the church is. Before we dived into the book of Acts, Jeremy spent several weeks talking through the Great Commission after we finished the book of Mark, but let me put it to you this way, or actually Kevin DeYoung writes this, The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit, gathering these disciples into churches that they may worship and obey Jesus now and into eternity to the glory of God the Father. Kevin DeYoung just wrote a book called What is the Mission of the Church where you can read more about that very thing. But all that to say, from the early church, we've got to take away the fact that part of the reason that they were on mission was to make disciples, to be witnesses and to make disciples. We can't miss that because it's vitally important. All right, so four lessons from the early church so far. Number one is obedience. Number two is a focus on God's word. Number three is an understanding that we all have a role to play. Number four, it's an understanding that our mission is to make disciples. There's nothing short of that. Lesson uh, five, last thing we're going to look at here. Acts 9.31, if you want to flip over there again. um, Acts 9.31 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it multiplied. Right? So in Acts 1:8, Jesus says you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 9:31, right here, we see that that has happened. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. It was being built up. And daily there were people who were Coming to faith, the church multiplied. There were new places of meeting. There were new disciples. It was happening. What Jesus said was going to happen in Acts eight is happening when we get to Acts 9.31. And it's a good thing. But at the end of Acts 9.31, there's this interesting statement where Luke here says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church... Multiplied, And I think that's incredibly important for us to grasp. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord and, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about, right? What, what in the world are we talking about? And it's this, the atmosphere in which Jesus broke through and caused many people to turn to the Lord and caused the church to multiply and caused disciples to be made and brought people to himself was an attitude, it was an atmosphere of godly fear and spiritual comfort. They seem almost opposites, right? Fear and comfort, but they're not opposites. What do we talk about when we talk about the fear of the Lord, or specifically here in 931? And the fear of the Lord is that sense of awe, that the Lord God is infinitely holy and infinitely powerful And that he is not someone to be trifled with or messed with. He is free to break in with indescribable, heart-stopping suddenness and power whenever and however he pleases. Check out Acts chapter 5. I referenced it a minute ago. Ananias and Sapphira. They go out. They sell some land. They come back to give the money to the church. They essentially lie to the Holy Spirit by saying, here's all the money we got when they're holding some back for themselves. And both of them end up dying in the midst of the body. Think about that. Think about if somebody walks over there to tithe this morning and they die. That's crazy. Right? And that's essentially what happens in Acts chapter 5. And as a part of that was a great understanding of the holiness and the power of our God. I read a book several years ago written by R.C. Sproul called The Holiness of God. It changed my thinking and it changed my spiritual life greatly because for the first time I began to grasp this understanding of how great and how holy our God is. If you read Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah um, comes into contact with God himself, uh, it says that he is undone, and the picture is like a ball of twine just unrolling in the front of a holy God. And um, sort of the attitude that we see in the early church here based on this passage. Our God is not someone that we make light of. We don't take his name in jest or treat him marginally or neglect the worship of our God because he is living and powerful and unstoppable and holy and he wills his own glory. Peter tells us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand and that is exactly what we should do. That was part of the atmosphere of the early church in which the gospel spread and disciples were made. A, a, a fear of the Lord. But the passage also references the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So there's this great fear. There's this great comfort. And I struggled this week with figuring out how to explain this. And so I'm just going to rip something off from somebody else. It's John Piper put it this way. He's compared the comfort of the Holy Spirit to living in the eye of a hurricane. And a hurricane, as you know, is a storm of great strength and power that is destructive, it's frightening. But by contrast, the eye of the hurricane is a place that is calm. It's usually not cloudy, it's usually not raining. Right in the middle of it, it's calm um, and it's exposed to blue sky. And so in Luke, when Luke writes in 9.31 here that the church walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit... It's almost as if they're flying in the eye of the hurricane, right? They're standing right there. All around them, it's stormy. It's difficult. There's persecution. There's sin. There's all this crazy stuff going on. But in the middle of it, there's calm. There is comfort provided by the Holy Spirit, a place where the Holy Spirit assures them and empowers them like He promised that would happen in Acts 1.8 so that as they're going forward, as they're accomplishing the mission that Jesus sent them on, there's great comfort knowing that no matter how difficult it is out here, the Holy Spirit is there to provide and to take care of His church. Make no mistake about it, the early church lived in an environment that was hostile There were people who were stoned to death. There were people who died and they were beaten and they were persecuted all the time. But in the middle of that, there's great comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so the question for us this morning, based off of what Luke wrote here in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, do you, do we, understand and have a healthy fear of the Lord? It's a biblical concept. It's not a bad thing. But do we get what it means and do we cultivate that in our lives or not? And in the same token, do we understand what it means to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, to live in the protection of the Holy Spirit as he empowers us to be about the work that God has called us to do? And so God at times is downright frightening and powerful and he wills his own glory and seeks it. And yet at the same time, offers the comfort to his people that we so desperately need. And so the question, like I said, for us is how do we fit into that? Do we understand that individually? Do we understand that corporately? How does that play out in our midst? And so just to wrap it all up this morning, let me um, sort of bring it back in and say, based on what we've learned, based on what we've talked about, right? The early church was obedient They focused on God's word. They found roles to play to take care of one another, to build up the body of faith. They lived with the healthy fear of the Lord. They understood the comfort of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And so where does that leave us this morning? Where do we move forward for, from here? And so, the question we have to ask ourselves or where we have to start is as I've already mentioned, we have to evaluate our obedience individually, corporately. Are we being obedient or not? Are we disobedient? Are we doing what Christ has called us to do as and when He's called us to do it with the right attitude that Christ has called us to have? We need to evaluate our dedication to God's word individually, corporately, as a family whatever it may be. We need to find our place of service in God's church. We need to live on mission with a singular focus to make disciples because that's what Christ has called us to do. We need to live with a healthy fear of God and a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Now let me just back up for a second. It would be very easy For this to sound like a you need to do better, you need to try harder sermon. And that's not the intent of what I'm up here saying. What I want you to understand is that the hero of the early church is not the people, right? Yes, the church was obedient. Yes, the church focused on God's word. Yes, the church served one another and built one another up. Yes, the church made disciples. Yes, the church lived in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But the early church is not the hero of the book of acts jesus is the hero of the book of acts right the book of acts is the record of what jesus continues to do on earth through his people and all of these things that i've challenged us with this morning none of them are possible apart from the work of the holy spirit and the work of jesus in our lives Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, enabled all that he called his people to do in the book of Acts. And he extends the same grace to us that he extended to them. And as we're obedient, as we do these things that Jesus has called us to do, God gets the glory, we get the joy, but Jesus remains the hero. You with me? Everybody with me? All right. So, what is it? What is it that you need to take away? from what we've talked about this morning. Is it an area of obedience? Is it an area of focus on God's word? Is it an area of finding your place of service? Is it the need to cultivate the fear of the Lord? What is it? I'm going to leave that to you. I can't tell you what it is in your life. But let me tell you that it would be a grave mistake to walk out of here without seriously considering what God's word has to say to us this morning about the early church and how that applies to our life. Let's pray. God, you are good and gracious. And God, despite our sin, despite all that goes on around us, God, you still continue to work in our midst and you still continue to love us and to extend your grace to us. And God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you for the reminder this morning from your word that you have called us as a body of faith to very specific things. And as the early church grew and multiplied, thank you for the lessons that we can learn from their life. God, I pray that you would empower us, enable us to be as obedient, to be as on mission as they were, that you would give us a singular focus in our lives to live for your glory, that the gospel would go forth, that disciples would be made. God, thank you again for the opportunity to gather together. Thank you for your son, Jesus, around whose name we can gather. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.